you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to ask you to turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of John, the 21st chapter. And when you found John chapter 21, I'm going to ask you to stand as we here read together the word of the living God. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, as always, for your word. So full of truth, because it is truth, inspired by your spirit. So we thank you for it. Thank you that through your word, you reveal yourself to us, the truth of who you are. Father, through your word, you give us direction on how it is that we should live our lives in the way that they work best, as you've created life to be lived. So now, Lord, we commit ourselves to the authority of your word, and we call on you, Spirit of God. We need you to teach us from your word. We need you, Spirit of God, to bring the transformation so that our lives and in our lives we do the things that you have called us to do. And that we are the people that you have called us to be. So we thank you for this time together. Bless it now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, we return again for a fourth week this morning to John. Chapter 21, and we hear the simple command from Jesus. Peter, follow me. Follow me. Two enormously small words. Not unlike the enormous it, when Jesus says from the cross, it is finished. We can't begin to comprehend everything included in that it. And likewise, an hour and a half together is not going to be time to consider everything implied in the follow me. Hour and a half. If you don't laugh louder, the visitors are going to start sweating. (laughs) All right, you're awake. Follow me. This isn't the first time that Peter has heard this command from Jesus. As a matter of fact, upon their first meeting, these are the very words 
But Jesus said to Peter and his brother Andrew, they were fishing, you know the story. And Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. So this command already has meaning to Peter. Peter has heard Jesus say this to others. So let's just do a little verbal montage, a little verbal mashup of all the times Peter has heard this. One day Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he finds Philip and he says to Philip, follow me. And then Philip went and found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, come and see. Another time Jesus was out by the lake and he saw as he walked along a man named Levi. We know him as Matthew, a tax collector. And he was sitting in his tax booth and Jesus came and said to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew left his tax collecting and began to follow Jesus. Another time they're walking along the road and a man says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another, to another man, Jesus said, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Jesus said, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That was a fast flyby of these verses, each of which deserves full attention. But even in a flyby, we can get a sense of the requirements that come with following Jesus. Following, in these cases, means leaving something behind and going in a new direction. That's what Peter and Andrew did. They left their fishing nets and followed Jesus, as did Matthew. It involves telling others. That's what Philip did. Nathaniel, come and see. Following Jesus can mean deprivation. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Following Jesus requires singleness of focus, putting your hand to the plow and not looking back. Following Jesus means no excuses. But first let me say goodbye. Following Jesus can mean sacrifice. Take up your cross. Lose your life. Following Jesus means listening to the Lord, my sheep, Hear my voice. So wherever it is that we determine is the place that we must follow Jesus, it seems that following him must include some of these elements. But where is it that we are to follow him? Where was Jesus going? Well, we know the answer to that. As he has this interview with Peter on the beach, Jesus is going to heaven, right? After these post resurrection appearances. 
Jesus is going to ascend in, into the sky, hence our picture, up, up, and away. And a cloud is going to cover Jesus from their view. Yes, Jesus is going to heaven. So does Jesus mean here that we are to follow him to heaven? Well, certainly so. That's where Jesus is going, and that's where he is now. Specifically, among the other great works that Jesus is doing in heaven for us, right in this moment, which is interceding for us. Good news, right? Also, very specifically, he is preparing a place for us. And he said when that place is ready, he is going to come back and get us. One reason that Jesus did all that he did, leaving heaven, coming to earth, living on earth, dying on the cross, was to make heaven a possibility for us. So yes, it is Jesus' great pleasure to call us to follow him to heaven. He wants that for us. Is that good news? Yeah. But you know what? Peter's not going to heaven. Not yet. If all Jesus meant was follow him to heaven, he could have taken Peter in that very moment and skipped the next 30 plus years of Peter's life. But Jesus didn't skip those years and neither can we. Follow me must mean more than following Jesus to heaven. Though we sometimes wish that's all that Jesus meant. This morning I want us to consider a very broad answer to what it means to follow Jesus. An answer that's broad enough to take away any excuses that we may have for not following Jesus. Well, Jesus, I'm a full-time mom. I can't follow you right now. Jesus, I work 60 hours a week. I don't have time to follow you now. Nope. Not where we're going. Not where we're following. An answer that's broad enough so that we don't get too specific, such as, Lord, good shepherd, I will follow you into green pastures. Yes, Lord, I'm in 100%. Lord, good shepherd, yes, I will follow you by still, quiet waters. Yes, Lord, I'm all in, I'll follow you. Lord, you prepare a table for me. Yes, I will follow you there. I will experience your abundance. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. I am all in. The Lord graciously leads us into those places, right? Sometimes. But those places are too restrictive. They're too narrow to encompass everywhere the Lord wants to lead us and wants us to follow him. The Lord is calling us, you and me, as he called Peter, more to an activity than to a place. The Lord is calling Peter to follow him into an activity which actually began at the time of creation. So we have to go back there. Now, often we get fixated on how God created. And the end result of fixating on how God created is division, right? Well, I believe in six 24-hour literal days of creation. Well, I believe in the framework theory of creation. Well, I believe in the day-age theory. Well, I'm a, a theist. I believe in theistic evolution. And on and on it goes. Everybody has their own thing, and so we divide, right? Christians on the right, scientists on the left, right? This great divide separates us. But then when we have all the Christians together, the, the, the battle continues. 
and the name calling and the labeling. You are, you're just a, a flaming liberal. Well, you're a head in the sand conservative. You know the story, right? Y'all don't know that story? That's the story. Instead of focusing on how he did it, which I believe is very likely to remain a mystery until the Lord decides to reveal it to us in eternity, if that's what he chooses to do. Instead of focusing on how he created, I think we need to focus on why God created. Why did God create ex nihilo, out of nothing? Why did he bring order to chaos? Think with me this morning of creation, paradise, as this beautiful temple that God built. Just brought it up out of nothing. And once it was complete, once God had everything as he wanted it, then on the last day of creation, he takes his image and he places his image in this creation, this temple that he has built. Adam and Eve, human beings created in the image of God. There they are in this temple that God has created. Psalm 8 reminds us, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have created man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. This is temple language, right? Temples are built to reflect the glory and the majesty of the one who is worshipped. And so the earth is created by God a place of majesty. His glory is here. His image is here in the man and the woman that he has created. But you know the story. Trouble comes along. Sin enters the world. And the glory and the majesty of creation is marred. There are thorns and thistles. The image of God and human beings is marred. But in that moment of marring, God makes a promise. He promises that one will come, one will come who will crush the head of the serpent, the one through whom sin entered the world. God will restore the glory. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, follow me, Abraham, leave your family, leave your home, go to the place I will show you and I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. And through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. God is going to restore the glory. And he calls Abraham to be his partner in restoring the glory. Exodus chapter 3. God calls Moses to follow him. So now go, God says, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so the call goes to Moses to partner with God in restoring the glory. God does deliver his people from the slavery of Egypt. And when he delivers them, he tells them this, Now let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Why? Because God is going to restore the glory. The people obey. The tabernacle is built. Exodus 40 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God will restore the glory. Let's leave the desert. Now let's go to Jerusalem, the true holy city. 
Okay, Charleston? Ah, not so much. Jerusalem, the true holy city. David's palace is built, the royal palace. David's son Solomon has built the temple. One of the wonders of the ancient world. And when it is complete, what a glorious sight to behold. It's time to dedicate the temple. So the Ark of the Covenant is brought in and it's placed in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the sanctuary, in the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 6, tells what happened. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. See, God will restore the glory. But the glory did not remain in that temple. God's people were not interested in being God's partner in restoring the glory. You know this story as well. They lived for themselves. They lived in sin. They presumed upon their covenant relationship with God. Oh, we're God's people, chosen by God. We'll do as we please. They neglected the Lord. They desecrated this holy place, his temple, by bringing flawed, deformed, and meaningless sacrifices. And so the glory of the Lord departed that place and that temple was destroyed. But the Lord did not give up on what he created. God does not abandon this earth in which we live to be a glory-less place. God does not let go of creation in disgust. He doesn't turn it over to someone else and say, well, see what you can do with it. No. Scripture says, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. God will restore the glory because the earth is to be a place of the glory of God. And God always gives his people hope that it will be. And so the Lord gives the prophet Isaiah a vision. Isaiah saw the Lord where? He saw him in the temple. And so glorious and majestic was the Lord that the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And the angels called back and forth one to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. I thank God for George Handel's Messiah. Because of it for 274 years, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5 has been sung in country churches and great cathedrals and the most famous of the secular halls, music halls in the world. And you know it. And the glory, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, right? And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Yes, the glory of the Lord will be seen on earth. God will restore the glory. And so he tells the prophet Isaiah, speaks through him, that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert 
a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked straight and the rough places plain. Why? Because the glory of the Lord is coming. And so finally at last, we arrive at John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his what? Glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Through Jesus Christ, God has restored the glory on this earth. And that's why Jesus can say, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. And so the glory of the garden, that temple-like creation of God is restored in Jesus Christ, his body, he is the temple of God, he is the glory of God. He is the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Because God did not abandon this to be a gloryless place, Jesus came. And wherever Jesus went, proclaiming the kingdom of God, there his glory is. Because in every place where the glory is marred almost beyond recognition, in that place God's glory will be restored when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, believed, and lived out. And so Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Peter. Follow me. Take your place as a glory restorer. Follow me as I lead you to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, restoring the glory. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Follow Christ. He's always leading in triumph. Where we go with him, we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him. And in that place, the glory is restored. It doesn't matter where. Paul could have preached in Troas, but instead he went to Macedonia. So what? In all places, everywhere, the glory must be restored, and we are the glory restorer. We, you and me, people who have been recreated. We, people who have been restored. We, who have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We, in whom the curse of sin has been reversed. We, from whom the sting of death has been removed. We are the glory restorers. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he means much more than following him to heaven. He means following him, following him. 
throughout this earth, restoring the glory. And just as the Spirit of God filled the tabernacle and the temple, so now the Spirit of God fills us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 2 Corinthians 6.16 For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, there you have it. According to God's word. We follow Jesus, you and I, as New creations, recreations, restoring the glory of the Lord as we move throughout the world. One author puts it this way. The central message of the Bible is not simply that we are sinners, but through Jesus, God is reconciling us, rescuing us from the sinful world so that we can be with him in heaven. That's part of it, but it's not the whole biblical story. The Bible is not about the rescue of humans from the world, but about the rescue of humans for the world. And indeed, God's rescue of the world by means of those rescued humans, right? Rescued, recreated, not just for heaven, but for this world. So it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how often you go. But as you move throughout this world, you are to be a glory restorer as you speak gospel words, as you live a gospel life that points to Jesus Christ. That makes you a glory restorer. I'm not suggesting that this will be an easy life. Certainly wasn't for Peter. He's going to die on the job. As we said earlier, following Jesus may require, will require, leaving something behind and going in a new direction. It will involve opening your mouth and telling others, come and see. It may mean deprivation and discomfort. It requires singleness of focus, not looking back. No excuses. It requires sacrifice. It requires actively listening for the voice of our good shepherd. Where, Lord? When, Lord? But in all of this, we will advance the kingdom of God and restore the glory and fulfill the, promise, the, the purpose that God has for us. And that's the vision, listen, that we've got to embrace here at Redeemer, Presbyterian Church. We've got to embrace this glory-restoring vision. Our community needs us to, not just for their sake so that they go to heaven. That's a beautiful thing. That's what we want for them. But so that they can take up their place as glory restorers, our community. Look around the neighborhood in which God has planted us here in this building. This community has the ability and the means to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. 
They have the means and the ability and the influence to do something about the injustice that we see in the world around us. They have the ability. We need to give them the vision. You know, people don't need to come to this place to get saved. Do you realize that? You don't have to bring them here to get saved. You know why? Because you know the people. They're your friends. They're your neighbors. They're your family members. They're your co-workers. You're the one who's investing in their lives, building relationships with them. You are the one that can tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. You can, quote, unquote, get them saved. Amen. Woo! We come to this place to worship the one and only true and living God and, and, and to exalt Christ. That's what we do. And it's such a blessing to worship week after week. We also come to this place to be mobilized, to go out into the world, into our community groups, to be a family on mission together, restoring the glory wherever we go. So what will our response be? What will your response be to Jesus' command, follow me? What was Peter's response? Oh, yes, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, aren't I? Look in verse 21. Look how Peter responded. Jesus says, follow me. And Peter says, Lord, what about him? And he points back at John, who's following along behind them on the beach. Peter deflected. Human nature, right? Y'all know I love my kids. And they have good-naturedly endured being the stars of my pulpit stories for many years. And so I'll call on you to do that again this morning, children that I love. Because actually this isn't about any one of them. It's kind of all of them corporately. And it's not really so much a story as it is a scenario, an often repeated scenario. Quote, quoth the father, child, and you can choose any one of the five. Will you please, and you can fill in the blank with any task. Response of the child, um, just a minute. Or, well, first let me, or can I do it, and you can choose any time from an hour to days later. Now, of course, you know the end of that story, don't you? The delayed obedience, the deflected obedience, turns into no obedience at all. Oh, I forgot. One of my children admitted as an adult that its practice was always to get up from the table after dinner and retreat to the bathroom so that it would not have to help with cleaning the dishes and cleaning the kitchen. Now, in a family of seven, we never noticed. Honestly, we never Notice. If you had to guess which of my children that was, which one would you choose? (laughs) Don't, don't. I think we hope that the Lord will never notice, right? Because there's so many other people who can do the job. Lord, what about him? Lord, what about her? But here's the thing that we all need to know. Here's what you need to know. Here's what I need to know. We're almost finished. The Lord will not be deflected. Uh Uh-uh. Don't even try. Look in verse 22. Peter says, Lord, but what about him? Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then Jesus says, you must follow me. 
So see, there's no deflecting this morning. There's no looking at your neighbor. You know, the announcement to everyone is an announcement to no one because we just figure someone else will do it. No, you can't put it off on someone else. Jesus won't let you. Jesus bores in on Peter here. You must follow me. And the gaze of the Lord bores in on each of us. And to each of us, the Lord says, because he won't be deflected, you must follow me. You must follow Jesus, who always leads the triumphal procession in this kingdom-building venture. You must partner with Jesus. Follow him in restoring the glory so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as water covers the sea. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word and thank you for challenging us through your word. And Father, for those of us here this morning who are deflectors, who want other people to follow you but not so much me, I pray that you would bore in on each of us who have that thought, Lord. And that though we are many here this morning, your gaze will be upon each of us individually. And that we will hear your voice, the voice of our shepherd. And that we will hear your call, follow me. Lord, we need the boldness that comes from your spirit to give us the faith to say that because we see what you're in, from your word what following you can mean, all the things we've talked about this morning. Sacrifice, suffering, leaving something behind, going in a new direction. Lord, it will cost us to, to follow you. I pray, Lord, that you would make us willing to pay that price because the, the, the world needs us to. Lord, in every place, your glory needs to be restored as the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and lived out. So I pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. I can't convince anyone to do anything, Lord, but you can. Put it in our hearts this morning that we will partner with you as we go throughout the world restoring the glory. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your you'll find our last